Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Coming up in this episode, we're going to be hearing from two production companies among the portfolio in which Comcast-owned Sky holds significant stakes about their hopes of how Unscripted may emerge stronger from the COVID-19 crisis. Patrick Reardon, president of Jupiter Entertainment, talks about how the US true crime specialist is dealing with the situation and the impact it's having on cable networks in the country. But first, Natalka Znak, founder and president of Znak & Co, discusses how the UK and US-based entertainment and factual formats outfit is working with clients including Netflix and Fox to find solutions to shows that have been hit by social distancing restrictions and how it's aiming to navigate through the next few months, arriving on the other side at what many in the industry believe will be a new normal in TV production. Here's Natalka talking to C21's Clive Whittingham. Snack & Co, uh, we're an international company anyway, so I'm LA and I've got an office in London. So in some simple ways, we were, it's, the transition's been easier for us because... I, I've literally, I've just come off a Zoom call with my team, but I did, was doing that every morning anyway, the Skype, Zoom. I get up first thing and I always, you know, I'm on with the London office. Obviously, everyone's working remotely and, you know, but it, it, it was much more straightforward because we're so used to talking like that. Um, obviously, it's effective production. We were about to shoot. We make I Am A Killer for Netflix, which is hugely successful. And we were about to shoot a spin-off show in America. Uh, I have to say, Netflix have been amazing. Okay. Really, they have been so good. And very quickly agreed, um, you know, extra budget to cover the delay. So we've been able to keep most of our team and uh, actually, another crime thing we're doing with Sky, again, they agreed to bring something forward. So really happily, we haven't had to lay off anybody and they're all working from home. I mean, who knows how long it will last because we do need to film eventually. <laughs> and then here, we have Ultimate Tag that we made, which is a massive game of tag. And that's all in the can and ready to go. And that's good because that's going on air soon. And uh, it's a sporty show, which no one knew if that was the right thing to do. Now there's no sport on. We're hoping it's going to do really well. But when do we get back to work and what does that look like? I don't think anybody knows. But I suspect we will open up. But we're going to open up with limitations, aren't we? With you can only have a crew of 50 and everyone needs to be tested or temperature tested and all of that. So, but here's the other thing that we're all working out is how to downsize. So that's also what we're working out. So when we can get back out and film, what is the minimum number of crew and how can we do it? Yeah. And that is conversations that we're having and I'm sure that everybody else is having. And then we've also been shooting new shows that have been, that we've shot, we've shot one format for a network that has been totally shot virus friendly, which has been interesting. So it was self-shot by the participants. It was edited at home by an editor we know. It was technically very challenging. I was driving around with drives and masks and disinfectant. It, you know, it was only a proof of concept, not a full show, but um, 
yeah so we're you know there's lots of different ways we've been working out how to function in this environment and then function when the environment changes but i don't think anyone expects it's going to be way you know we're all back with the audience of hundreds and crews of hundreds you got that uh, i know you say only proof of concept but that's that must have been an idea that you got uh, got into motion pretty quickly because what are we, six, six weeks into this and you've already come up with something like that? Can you tell me a little bit about, about that show? I, I can't tell you much about it. It's, it, you know, but it's self-shot and it's celebrities and it was a proof of concept and we literally delivered it yesterday. Yeah, I mean, look, the minute it happened, we were, like everybody, pitching ideas and stuff. Yeah, this is one, so I don't know, I don't know if it's going to go, but I'm telling you, it was really hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> Because you just had no people, you know, very small crew, working out all the technicalities of it. I, you know, lots of people must be doing this, but it was exhausting trying to work out how to make a show with about five people that still could sit on a network. And um, what's, what sort of conversation, you said that Netflix have been really good. What sort of conversations have been having with commissioning editors? Are they all getting besieged with clip show uh, well everybody got well everybody you know everybody pitched to clip shows when and that's what that's what everyone said they wanted and then everyone thought no we don't want that we can just do repeats and this was true wherever we were talking send us ideas how can you do a clip show what's really cheap everybody needs cheap stuff so it went from clip shows to oh what is the clever idea that comes out of this so then it moved the other way um so we've been pitching people and now really interestingly last week suddenly everybody a load of zoom pitches went in all the network more general pitches we've been having specific conversations but now it's like all the networks are realizing i think in the cables that they're not opening up that soon so let's just get up and running on the on the format side, you you do a lot of work. You do a lot of scouting in the in the Far East, South Korea. I remember last time we spoke, there was you were uh, very focused on South Korea. Their industry is going to start up before ours, isn't it? Is that going to be a an opportunity there? You can you can do deals and and whatever you know because they'll be up and running before us. You would think. Yeah, I, mean, I guess they might get up and running, but I, I don't know if that's going to make a difference. It's much more here. I feel like, especially with those formats, they're big studio formats, they've got audiences, you know, these big entertainment shows. Well, what do they look like now? Because if even if you're coming back to shoot one, you're not coming back with an audience. You know, all of a sudden we're looking at shows. Okay, so which shows can you still make without an audience and it's not going to totally ruin it or how else can you get an audience so uh, actually we've just gone back to another old format it's just like oh yeah you know what that could work quite well without an audience could be filmed quite cheaply so i kind of think people might be looking for slightly different formats now just because everyone knows the climate's going to be strange for quite a while yeah you are you planning for that to be the new normal when, well, when are there going to be crowds audiences things like that are you planning for that to be the case for sort of 18 months or, or more well i mean you know what i haven't thought 18 months ahead but i certainly know that we're not planning anything with an audience and neither is any studio so it's much more how can you have a virtual audience or what formats you know still work without that so it definitely changed people's thinking finances are also going to be different aren't they the big fear i think for production companies is everybody wants to do things cheap and cheerful now and then we're going to be stuck with a new normal of 
you know, we haven't got any money and how come you managed to make, you know, this, 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 you know, how come you managed to make that show with five people, not 10? Because I worked really hard, really late <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and I needed more people. So yeah. I'm, I'm worried about suddenly what that new normal is in terms of budgets and finances. I mean, here's the thing. We're a British production company, so we're used to making things on, you know, we're more nimble, I think. Uh, so again, there's, you, I'm, you're always looking for the advantage in something, aren't you? It's like, we're more nimble. We can, we can make things on, on cheaper budgets. So hopefully, I, I think I'm not really, really depressed about it all. I'm thinking, okay, we, we might be all right. That's definitely going to be a conversation, though, from a commissioning editor, isn't it? How come you were able to make this with ten people, you know, during that crisis, and now you need twenty to do it or whatever? That's going to they're going to it's going to be a lot of that. I think. Oh, a hundred percent. And also, their budgets and you know, advertising revenues are down, and they're in, they're in trouble themselves. So who knows? What does the um, when you go to real screening places like that? There's always a lot of hand wringing and worries about the state of the indie um, state of the indie sector and you know production companies going to the wall and stuff like that. Has has the government help on both sides of the Atlantic been enough to reassure you that the indie sector will be able to get through this, or are, are there concerns around that? I mean, I guess I've been encouraged by the support. I mean, ha- thankfully we've only really had to, you know use a little bit of it around the edges and we've been okay because of the support of the networks. Some people is some people are definitely going to suffer. Personally, I think in this kind of environment, because we're non-scripted, non-scripted often comes out of this much better than scripted, obviously, because we're cheaper and more nimble. So we can come up with ideas quicker. We can film them cheaper, probably. We can just get going quicker, probably, than scripted. So I'm hoping companies like us will be okay. Yeah, you, there's that quick turnaround thing, and it? yes. that's going to be a benefit for you guys. And then you know, there's you know those shows that people are loving, like Joe Exotic and Too Hot to Handle, and all this stuff. Because it's like, okay, so people want to watch this stuff. So Mass Singers ratings are big. Lego Master here on Fox is big. So people are watching. I guess they just need the advertising money to come back. And is it slightly different with the streamers? Because they we're hearing a lot about holes in schedules because all the sports gone away. It doesn't really work that way for streamers because they don't they don't have a schedule, but they're they're obviously going to be really hungry for for content. You would think. Yeah, but they yeah they need new content, don't they? Because I mean, people are running out of stuff to watch. I'm running out of stuff to watch. I'm like, oh, I've watched that. I've watched that. What can I watch now? So there's definitely a hunger for stuff. Ultimate tag. That's what everyone's going to watch. Ultimate tag might be, the, like you say, the show for its time, because it's not only sporty, but it's also people touching each other, which we're not going to be allowed to do ever again. So I know, it'll, I know. It's, it'll look like a it, vintage show, right? <laughs> it, it, I'm telling you, it's fun. It's going to fulfill everyone's sporting needs. And, uh, yeah. And we'll all be playing Ultimate Tag again soon, or at least families can play it in their back garden with their kids. Natalka Znak, talking to Clive Whittingham. Clive also spoke with Patrick Reardon, president of Jupiter Entertainment, who's hopeful the coronavirus pandemic may trigger a rebound in Unscripted, similar to the ones seen during the US writers' strike of 2007 and 2008. 
We've been around for about 25 years. The company was founded in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we now have offices in Tennessee and New York and LA. And, um, you know, we've, we're primarily an unscripted company, um, really tackled a lot of genres over the year and over the years. And in the last five or six years, really made a push into true crime programming. So we produced Snapped on Oxygen, which is approaching 500 episodes, a couple other series for Oxygen. And we also uh, do quite a lot of business with um, ID. Uh, we have Homicide Hunter, a new spinoff of Homicide Hunter coming, and a number of other shows. So yeah, that's us. <laughs> yeah, and you were, you were trucking along quite nicely when, uh, when last we spoke in New Orleans in, in January, which seems like a lifetime ago. How have things changed for your business uh, since this all uh, all occurred well we we're probably one of the lucky ones um, because we do so much volume we, we probably produce you know between 250 and 300 hours a year so we're essentially always in production and post pretty much consistently we don't really have downtimes so the good news for us was that when this started to hit in the US um, you know we were able to pretty quickly move to a work from home type strategy in both New York and Knoxville and um, we had a lot of content that was already in our pipeline. So we were able to keep post pretty consistently uh, up and running. We were able to um, maintain most of our deliver de deliveries with the networks. So we're lucky in that sense. Obviously, you know, just like everyone else, as things got a little dicier, we had to make some decisions to shut down physical production. So we're not currently doing any major physical production, no recreations, um, no interviews. And so, you know, what that, like I said, we've been able to, to keep moving in the short term, which has been great, but it's definitely caused us to look ahead and, you know, what does the future hold? How do we have to rejigger our schedules? What kind of uh, different approaches may, may we have to take in the production side? So, you know, it's been a lot of restructuring the puzzle and really looking at how, do, how can we you know, in the short term and in the long term, how can we approach these projects differently so that if something like this happens again, that we're still able to to move our productions forward? So with with true crime, they get they kind of divide up between talking heads, archive and recreation. Two of those you might be able to do in lockdown or are you just thinking that it would it would look like a lockdown production. So you're not you're not going down that route. Yeah, we're we're you know, the networks that we work with have all been um, willing to explore this idea of doing non-traditional interviews with, you know, kind of the talking heads, the experts and the people involved in the cases. So we're experimenting with a lot of technology there. We're experimenting with these type of, you know, Zoom meetings and, and all the different, you know, software available there. We, we have um, the ability to ship cameras and simple setups to our subjects. We're able to do high quality audio interviews that can sometimes take the place of a traditional interview. So I think you know, everybody needs programming and we, you know, both we as a production company and the networks don't want to interrupt the pipeline too much. So we are doing some of that in the short term. And we're, we're looking ahead to when we think it will be safe and prudent to go do smaller, more targeted versions of traditional interviews where we, you know, have a reduced crew and we take additional precautions and get a more traditional interview. But we want to balance that with the production value and the quality of the production that we've that we traditionally you know are, are able to achieve so it's a great short-term solution and it's nice to be able to fill holes here and there and keep things moving but it's definitely not something we want to do in the long term yeah i guess a lot of the true crime interviews it really has to be a, a personal connection with the with the person you're interviewing that you just as as much as we try you just don't get over skype or zoom yeah there's so much emotion involved in these stories 
and you know somebody sitting in their home uh, without an interviewer present, you do, you, you, you can, you know, you run the risk of, of missing that emotional connection. Yeah. And that we've heard from broadcasters as well, as keen as they are, you know, like you say, not to have a gap in the pipeline and also to be commissioning some, some stuff during now, they also don't want it to look like lockdown programming. Right. Because they're going to want to use it again when, you know, times hopefully come back to normal. Is that a challenge that you guys are going to have to, to address? It is. It is. And, and, and that's, you know, it's, it's a blessing and a curse that we have so much in production. So, you know, because uh, we, we essentially we work, we're constantly delivering on an average, you know, it, COVID aside, we probably deliver a finished episode no less than once a week. So we have so much volume that we want to continue to deliver. And some of it can be delayed uh, until we are able to get back out in the field. And some of it, some of the schedules are certainly shifting from the network perspective, which allow us to deliver later. But, you know, in order, if we are keeping on schedule, there's a, a significant chunk of our production that, that kind of necessitates these types of interviews. But, you know, I think luckily, look, the, the technology is getting better. Two, three years ago, we probably would not have even been able to, to, to try this kind of approach because the technology wasn't there. The cameras weren't good enough. The internet connections weren't fast enough. So at least now it's an option, which is great. And I think what we're looking at now as we're looking at this globally is that part of it is about using this as an opportunity to, to find a new creative approach to it. Because, you know, there, as you said, there's some pretty, pretty standard elements in the, in the types of shows we do. There's interviews, there's recreation, there's archive. You know, archive, we can utilize more. You know, we can repurpose um, different types of recreations that we might not have used in the past, but we can use in a different way to tell the story. So part of what we're doing, we're trying to look at it as a way to kind of propel our creative brains forward and find some different ways to do it so that it actually doesn't feel different. It doesn't look different. And it is something that can be, you know, sort of evergreen COVID aside. So it's been, it's certainly been a challenge, but it's also, you know, just like anytime you hit any kind of challenge in a production environment, it's, it's, it's caused us and our teams to look at some really interesting creative approaches that we might not have done otherwise. Change, it changes from week to week and, and day to day almost. I've been doing these interviews for, for a month now. And at the start, there seemed to be a massive rush towards clip shows and archive shows. Oh, right. we'll just all do clip shows and archive shows. Was that your initial thought? And have you thought about going in that direction? It seems to have subsided a little bit the more we've gone along. Yeah, I agree. We did. Um, you know, in those first couple of weeks, uh, nobody knew what was going to happen, how long this was going to last. But I think everybody understood that production across the board was going to be interrupted and it was going to cause delays. And that obviously affects the networks and it affects the producers as well. We definitely did explore some concepts in that space. And, and again, we, we had a, an advantage in a way that we have so much material that we've produced over the years that there were opportunities for us to dive back into that archive, working with the partners, you know, for each individual project and say, look, we have 300 episodes of this show, you know, let's talk about doing some sort of repacked version, revert, you know, new versions of old stories, updates, et cetera. So we went down that road. We actually coincidentally had been developing a series in that production paradigm with one of our network partners that we got over the line just as this was happening. And it was sort of a coincidence and it was a light bulb moment saying, hey, we can produce this show because there's very little production. Uh, a lot of it is post-based and VO-based and archive-based. So why don't we look at other opportunities there? So we are, we, we're, you know, we're looking, we're doing that in terms of new concepts, but we're also doing it, working with our network partners to say, hey, listen, if you do find yourself with a hole in your programming schedule and you need something that can be delivered relatively quickly and without the risk of having to go out in, into the field, 
you know, we have the capability to do that. But I, I agree with you that that was sort of a short-term reaction. And I think, you know, uh, of course, all the production companies, ourselves included, were saying, well, we want to make sure that we can keep our pipeline moving, keep, pe- keep people busy. So let's look at this. But I think pretty quickly, people realized that while that's a good short-term solution, there's plenty of other short-term solutions. And what we really need to do is look ahead. And I think in, in a lot of ways, what it's done is uh, for us and, uh, and what I've seen in the networks is it's really placed an emphasis on pushing things through the development process. And if, if there's a positive to come out of this, I would say that's that's something that I see that is positive. It's, you know, development has a, has a tendency to drag and languish and, you know, people will fine tune and nitpick an idea to death and, uh, and you miss your window. And what I'm seeing now across the board is both at a producer level, people are getting things out the door faster and getting them in front of networks faster. And the networks are, are generally responding to them more aggressively. You know, they find an idea they like and they say, look, maybe we have an opportunity in the summer to shoot. So let's try to figure this out quickly. Let's make some decisions and get out there with the hopes of shooting this when we have a, you know, theoretically have a window in the summer to do it. So I think pretty quickly people moved on from that clip show short-term fix to, all right, let's look long-term, let's be realistic and let's, let's kind of make sure that we have an insurance policy that if this does come back in the fall or next winter, that we've put, you know, we've gone out and we've produced a lot of content that we have in the bank that we can then put into post and still have, you know, ready for air next year. That development process, that improvement in the development process be a permanent thing, because we've been hearing so much about, like you say, how long the process is getting, how expensive it is for, for production yeah. companies. Is it fingers crossed that that might actually be a permanent improvement from all of this? I hope so. I mean, you know, it, it's interesting because I look at this situation somewhat similarly to the writer strike of 06, I think. Scripted production, when it goes down, it takes a long time to get that moving. So there was that huge gap. And I think we're going to see the same thing here. So it may not be a permanent fix, but I do think that for the foreseeable future, networks, you know, certainly the networks that do a lot of, traditionally do a lot of unscripted are going to need content. But I think we're going to also see networks that don't traditionally use a lot of uh, hours for unscripted they're going to have needs as well. And they're going to need projects that can be moved through the pipeline quickly, quickly produce and be ready for air. So I do think, you know, my hunch is for the next year or so, we're going to see a really aggressive uptick in the amount of projects that are put into development, the speed which that they're, the speed at which they're put through towards uh, into series, um, because there's just going to be a need for programming. And I think what, what, what this industry, this part of the industry proved in 06 is that, you know, I think, there, there's a, there had been a stigma that unscripted TV was sort of, you know, a, the lower, a lower on the quality level, not as sophisticated, et cetera. But I think what that period showed was that if the show is well produced and the stories are great and the characters are great, the audience will find it, whether it's scripted or unscripted. And they, there were some massive unscripted success stories that came out of that time. And there's been an obvious shift towards, you know, high quality scripted in the last five or six years. But I think this is an opportunity for us to do high quality, thoughtful, you know, well-produced, unscripted content because the audience is going to need something to watch and the networks are going to need something to broadcast. And we're well suited to be able to, to fill that gap. So another uh, another staple chat at uh, unscripted conferences over the past 18 months, two years, maybe longer, has been the embattled U, uh, U.S. cable system, declining subs, declining ad revenues, competition from right. streamers. What state do we think the U.S. cable business that was already having these problems will come out of this in? Like ratings are up, but ad revenues yeah. are going away. So what what state do you see the market in when we come out the other side? 
Well, it's funny when we spoke about this in January, you know, it was already a complicated question. I think now it's <laughs> 10 times more complicated. I think of a huge factor in, in that is going to be sports and what happens to sports, you know, when it can get back up and running, how, how people will respond to it. If they're, you know, if the paradigm shifts where there's no live audience and, you know, games are being played in neutral stadiums, I, you know, I'm following the trends just like you are. And of course you're seeing the networks like, or the streamers like Netflix are seeing a lot of, you know, a big uh, influx of viewers and subscribers. And at the same time, I think I saw that AT&T lost a number of subscribers uh, over the last couple of months. You know, there's, I don't know. The answer is it's such a complicated question. I think that there's, there's more competition than ever. I don't think any of the streamers or the networks have enough money to fill their programming slate with top to bottom quality content. So what's going to happen is you're going to have, you know, this network's going to have this big hit, this streamer's going to have this big hit, and then there's going to be a lot of other stuff around it that just sort of lives in the, in the library. And ultimately, I think what, what we've seen is that the, the viewers are somewhat fickle with their allegiances. You know, it used to be, I, I have Netflix and I'm paying for it every single month regardless because there's enough on there to keep me interested every month. Now we're seeing, you know, what I'm seeing is, okay, I'm going to sign up for Netflix to watch that one, those one or two shows that I have to watch, and then I'm going to cancel it for a while, move over to Hulu, move over to HBO Max. So I think loyalty is going to be the biggest thing. And I think the only way to combat that is to have a, an immense amount of new programming re- released on a consistent basis. That's quality programming. And I think that there's no way that can happen with as many outlets as there are now. Right. So I think... I don't know who's going to be, you know, who's going to survive and who isn't, but I think that I don't think that the the viewer base can sustain the amount of outlets that there are now and will be in the next couple of months. I I think we will see a contraction there to a certain degree. Is there is there a real tipping point here for for the production community like 3 months okay, 6 months horrendous or, or is it more fluid than that? I think it's different for everyone. I mean, you know, you know, if you're a company that does predominantly big physical competition shows that you shoot once a year or, you know, cast-based shows where you have to be in people's houses on a regular basis, I think they're going to struggle more. So I think every company is a little different. I mean, for us, we again, we're fortunate that we have a, a really nice buffer that we can ride this storm out. And we're confident that, you know, the time we're, we're planning ahead for the time when the country opens back up again and we can get out there and we can bank another huge chunk of content that we can put into our pipeline if it does shut down again. But I think it's going to be, I think, you know, there are companies out there that that's going to be a much bigger challenge for. So it, I think it is very fluid. And I think it's the same way for the networks. I think there's certain networks that can thrive on running marathons of old shows and they can do slight refreshes and they're going to maintain that, that kind of user base that they have. And there, there's networks that rely more on stunts and fresh content that is timely and produced on a more cyclical basis that, it, that there's going to be a struggle there as well. And they're going to have to look at changing some of their strategies in terms of content. Patrick Reardon from Jupiter Entertainment. That's all for this episode. Remember, if you'd like to share your story of coping with COVID-19 with the international TV industry, email us using the address press at c21media.net. There'll be more from the podcast next week, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening. <laughs>